0: Welcome to Video Radio! You can think of us as your curated video store where we cover cult classics, obscurities, and hidden gems. I am your host Sam, and I am joined by Amr. Hey,
1: it's me, Amr. For you children who don't know what a video store is, it's kind of like if a red box was a whole building. And if you live in the UK and you don't know what a red box is, I don't know what to tell you.
0: I uh, only know what a red box is um,
1: from uh, podcasts. (laughs) Uh, do you know when, uh, Netflix did... sent you DVDs?
0: Uh, Netflix launched here as a streaming service. <laughs> Fucking course it did!
1: <laughs> Netflix used to send you DVDs in the mail here. Yeah, we had, um, Love Film for that. Oh, yeah, that's uh, right. I think Netflix bought them.
0: No, Amazon bought them. Oh, Amazon... Yeah, okay, of course. Anyway... Uh, in this episode, we will be covering Metropolis and Metropolis. <laughs> uh,
1: for those of you who want a little bit more specifics, we're going to be covering Metropolis, the 1927 silent film, and then Metropolis, the 2001 animated film. Yes. Um, so, should we just get straight into it? Yeah, I guess we should, uh, just to set it up, um, neither me nor Sam had seen Metropolis the Silent film before this, but we had both seen the anime um We'll get into they kind of it's pretty interesting because they kind of um inform each other in interesting ways that I didn't really know about until I watched both of them together.
0: Yes, um, Metropolis the anime is what a movie I have rented from uh a video store, uh, multiple times, actually, uh, once it didn't work, so I had to take it back.
1: <laughs> uh, Metropolis, I have on a DVD. It oh. comes with a special features disc, which is, like, one of those mini discs. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, let's get right into, um, Metropolis 1927. Uh, fun facts uh, before we tried to watch this... So we were, (laughs) my copy of Metropolis was in German, I found out after the fact, which is uh, kind of a problem if you're trying to understand a silent film since the intertitles are a little bit important. Uh, So we went and tried to look at some digital rentals (laughs) that we could watch and we're looking around trying to find the correct version of Metropolis because it's been like re-released and cut it cut up and edited forms several times and we're about to start getting a rental for it to watch together before my partner walked in and said, hey, that thing's been out of copyright forever, it's on YouTube. And it was. Yeah. It's
0: it's weird thing, because I was looking I as I wasn't sure if it was in public domain, because it's quite close in year, because like Steamboat Willie is like a year or two after, and that's kind of the big what, copyright cases are often fought over? Yeah. They're being, like the first depiction of Mickey Mouse and all, but like and I looked at it and it's it's not. It's still in it's it's still in um copyright in some cases, but it's been in dispute. Yeah. Because sometimes sometime it has technically been public domain.
1: Right. Like I bet I could also find it on like the Internet Archive or something. Yeah. Uh but yeah, let's just uh get right into it. Um what were your expectations for this film before we get there?
0: Um I think oh i'd seen were very kind of heightened uh imagery of the uh man machine being brought to life and uh some of the machinery sequences that but though i weren't i wasn't certain that those were from Metropolis I'd seen clips of them uh in a uh, Mahjong game that my mother <laughs> had
1: oh that's incredible uh yeah. Wow. Yeah, I had some weird expectations because I'd kind of seen mostly things that rift off of Metropolis. So I expected to see a lot of the robot. The man machine specifically, like the, the humanoid robot form. And Yeah. Uh, I'd watch things like the Metropolis anime and listened to things like um, Janelle Monet's The Electric Lady. So I just kind of assumed seeing like some of the imagery at the beginning that it would be, um... I guess, like, just straight-up Marxist?
0: Yeah, I... It, it was definitely... It felt... It, it's very science fiction-y, it's very heightened, but it felt less... Um... It felt more... Like, as much as heightened everything was, it felt weirdly more grounded in
1: reality, to an extent. Yeah, there's, like, a lot of real ideas about class and um labor yeah that that are like really explicit in ways that a lot of science fiction just kind of uses like vague metaphors for
0: yeah but um so this movie is from 1927 it's directed by fritz lang Hmm. and let's just quickly go through uh sort of um yeah let's
1: just go lay down the plot s- line.
0: so uh the main character Freider, is kind of um like happy go lucky he's kind of one of the more like upper class kind of people yeah he's specifically
1: uh, the son of yo freiersonfriedsen yes i think
0: who is um uh, who is
1: i guess the master of metropolis, the giant city they all live in. he's like part of the yes. upper classmen called like city planners, I think they're officially designated
0: yeah, so Freider goes and sees goes down to see the workers and sees that they're kind of overworked in some ways. Uh the he sees a bunch of people working on a machine and because like it's very this movie is very blunt about its metaphors right. in that this machine is literally depicted as a uh monster eating the workers.
1: Yeah, and the there's this Shot of all these workers working like clockwork, trying to keep the machine running. And it just like fades into this, uh, basically it heats up, it explodes, and it fades into this like demonic face where it's just literally eating (laughs) the workers as they're working on it. And then kind of fades back to the reality of just seeing them thrown about by the explosion and overworked.
0: Yes, yeah, so, um... Th- after this explosion, um... The Freyda goes to see his dad, Yo Frederson, the ruler of the city, uh, who, um... Basically doesn't really do anything about it, because yeah. he doesn't see how he can benefit from it. And he, fire- he then fires his assistant, because an explosion has happened, and he wasn't notified about it. Yeah, he specifically so- says,
1: why am I learning about this from my son why am I learning about this from the workers and not you? Um, and he essentially says he sees, um, freighters, um, pain, but he says, you know, these people are, cause they specifically all live underground in like a specific different city for the workers. And he says, this is their place. This is their task. This is their station in life. And, um, where they're sent where they're sent to be, like everything is in the right place, and we need them to be there for things to work as they will. So he really neglects to do anything about it,
0: yeah. So, kind of, you see, like, Freyda's kind heart doesn't want to because uh, Yosefat is fired, and that basically means he would be sent to the underground city. Mm-hmm. But Freyda tells him, oh, You can stay at my place, it's right. fine. And... Then, uh, Freda exchanges, uh, lives with a worker named George.
1: Yeah, he goes under- he goes underground, um, he literally takes his place. Like, they switch clothing, and he gives them all his possessions, and he takes his place at the hand of the machine, working, like, I think they say, like, a ten-hour shift? Yes. I'm assuming they didn't get a break.
0: <laughs> no, um... It's, uh, and it's, I don't know if you've seen, like, this is, like, an image I'd seen, like, many times before. Is, like, there's a guy holding hands of a clock, looking like dial.
1: Yeah, so they're basically, like, um, there's lights all across the dial, and he's basically turning the hands of the clock to meet the dial, um, the lights on the dial as they light up to keep him moving.
0: it's, It's very, uh, over busy work.
1: Right, yeah. He specifically says if I stop, the machine will stop and everything will break down. So they're basically um, the hands of these workers are the little, literal engine powering this machine. Yes. So
0: after having worked that lengthy shift, he then is able to meet with uh, a woman named Maria who is uh, kind of sort of been someone who's drawing a lot of these workers together and inspiring them, uh, talking a lot about how um, that a mediator is necessary between the workers and the ruling class.
1: Right. So specifically, she tells uh, like a parable of the Tower of Babel and how it fell, and the way it's weird because um, they're reusing the the story basically as is. But what makes it fall is that the people who plan it, the referred to as the head, and the people who build it, who are hired by the head, uh, referred to as the hands, don't understand each other, and the discord between them causes it to be destroyed. Yes. And so she kind of promises the workers, "Hey, we need to be patient. We need to wait for this mediator who's going to come and will." help the two understand.
0: Yeah, so, um... Freyda sees it upon himself that he should become the mediator.
1: Right. Seeing as he has that position of privilege, and I guess after working one shift, understands their plight.
0: (laughs) So, um... Uh... Yo Freyda's is also having Freyda stalked, um, by his spy, the Thin Man.
1: I guess, yeah, that's how he's credited, the Thin Man, but he's just basically this, like, huge seven foot tall looking motherfucker (laughs) who's, like, so wide. So it's definitely an ironic name. Yeah. Um... Um, The Thin Man finds, uh... uh, What's the secretary's guy name again? Uh, Yosefats. Yosifat, yeah, right. In his house. And basically, between that and his meeting with um, Rotvang, an inventor, he comes across the meeting uh, between Maria and Frieder. Yes. Um, Rotvang also reveals that he has been working on a machine man, basically, to resurrect uh, Hell, uh, Yo's uh, deceased wife, who he was also in love with. So there's this like big um reveal of the machine man with a you know iconic robot frame, mm. which he says in twenty four hours I will be able to basically give this a human identity and make it uh, indistinguishable from another human
0: so then um Yo Frezen commands him to make it look like Maria, so that then they can use her to uh Disrupt the workers.
1: Yeah, to basically sow discord between um, Frida and Maria, and you know, overthrow the workers' plans for a mediator. So uh,
0: Maria's captured. Uh, Raffang takes a machine man and makes her into a Maria. Yeah, uh,
1: makes her duplicate. Into... Mm-hmm. And then he basically sets her upon. I think it starts with the upper class, right?
0: Yes. Um. Kind of, uh, in a very, uh... Like a very... very over-the-top. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Very over-the-top sequence in which she's doing, uh, a lot of, um... Dancing.
1: Yeah. To, uh... It's... They basically set it up as she's, um... Babylon the Great from the end of Revelations. They specifically show that quote, and, like, they use that imagery of her coming and seducing everybody, and, um... But she does this like, because it's a silent film, she's doing this dance, but it's the way the hand cranking makes like a kind of inconsistent frame rate that kind of like makes it look like it's in fast forward sometimes. So she's basically like doing a belly dance and like fast forward (laughs) and it's supposed to be this like deeply erotic thing. And you can see um, the men in the club just losing their minds over it, (laughs) like literally flailing about and like reaching for her and crawling all over each other to get closer to her as she does this (laughs) ridiculous hilarious belly dance
0: yeah and the 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 uppercrack they all fight each other
1: yeah they just start fighting each other for her and she just kind of like smiles and then starts doing this uh the actress does this like weird face where she's like kind of closing one eye um Mm. to like kind of give the expression like a Kind of an inhuman expression, I guess. Is the idea?: Yeah. Which recurs uh, as, you know, things get more intense. Um, and then basically, after she uh, <laughs> before, before that, <laughs> I just want to say, uh, I remember watching this, and there is just um, right before this scene, there was just like some random instance of like black facing yellow face yeah that just comes out of nowhere. It's just basically some floating heads with actors and just <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> not great. It's like there for like I don't know ten seconds, but it's just it kind of comes out of nowhere in a film that otherwise has like never explicitly leaned towards anything because you know, it's an old movie, and they just kind of threw that in there without really caring about it. Um I guess the idea is to show. Uh, this is a shady club, and you know it's shady because there are non-white people who are going to it. It's exotic, exotic, and they also, I think, specifically, um, hell in this scene is held up by like a bunch of black people mm. on the like very uh revelations imagery statue, like snakes and things. They should. I, I don't know if they're like actual black people. that's like the only time like black people show up in the film. Like These scenes And they never show up ever again (laughs) You will never see them with any of the Underclassmen or upper class people It's just for that one specific scene So uh, just be aware that's in the movie
0: Yes So then she then goes to the worker class And instigates a riot That destroys the machines Upholding the city which floods the underground
1: Right so yeah she basically says Hey we waited long enough For our mediator to come Obviously, they are not coming. It's time for us to take this into our our own hands and overthrow the people above us who are ruling over us, which, you know, um, seems reasonable (laughs) when you think about the way the movie depicts the uh, worker class. But it's kind of played the same way um, the upper class are like salivating and fighting over her are like uh, like an animal frenzy. So yeah, they go up, they destroy the machines, which causes a flood underground, and specifically endangers the workers' children.
0: Yes, they all leave the children alone in the underground when they destroy the big machine that floods everywhere. So, um, Maria ends up escaping there.
1: Yeah. Uh, and... She escapes and basically, because this is an old film that they've lost a lot of the archive for, it's just text. (laughs)
0: Yes, um, but she helps save the workers' children with help from Freder and Josephat.
1: Yeah, specifically her uh, escape happens in just like text being like Freder comes over here and he helps Maria and then they escape. And then it shows the scene of them um saving the children from the flooding. Along with Josephat, who is the like um I guess sort of like the foreman or something. He's the he's like the basically top person who organizes all the workers.
0: Ah, Yosifat is the, um, secretary. Sorry, Yosifat is the the secretary,
1: right. No. I was getting confused. Uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah, um, but then, when they get above ground, uh, the workers then confuse Maria for the fake one, and chase her about, chase her about for a while, but then they end up catching the fake one.
1: Yeah, so So specifically uh, what happens is, they confuse Maria for the robot who misled them. And they basically try to burn her as a witch. Like, they literally call her a witch and then build a stake for her. But, uh, th- they get confused and they catch the robot instead. And burn her at the stake. <laughs> yeah. And then um, it's revealed, like, as she's burning, that it was the machine man all along.
0: Yes. Uh, so then, but, uh, Rot-Vang, uh I think, believes that...
1: I th- yeah, that Rotvang really, uh, yeah.
0: Maria is still the
1: uh, robot who is... Uh, Which, yeah, he designed Hell. to replace Hell. Yeah, who, who he is, sees who he is as, in love with. Yeah, he's in love with and feels possessive over, so he um, he chases her up to a church.
0: Yes. Uh, and Freyda follows him up and fights, and
1: then... You know how these things the, happen. Yeah, Ravvang uh, falls off. You know, there's a There's a railing that's not very secure, and he leans up against (laughs) it, and it breaks, and then he falls down and dies. Because, you know, that way, Frieder gets to kill the villain, but he's not directly responsible for his death.
0: Yes, so then, at the end of all that, there's all the people, all the... Uh, Yo Friederson looking upset, or the workers looking upset, everyone's like, oh no, we've all misunderstood.
1: Yeah, they're all- and... this is after they've created a riot and destroyed everything, and probably lots of people have died, and they're just doing this like bashful look away from each other, like, uh, like they just got into like a domestic <laughs> spat, and, and just like yelled at Frida... each other for a little.
0: <laughs> and then Frieda comes between them and- Gets them to shake each other's hands because what they need is a middle manager, apparently.
1: <laughs> right, and then it ends with the intertitle saying, "The mediator between the head and the hands must be the heart," <clears throat> which is uh, referenced earlier in that um, parable of Babylon. But that's just literally how it ends. Yeah, we needed a mil- middle manager. That was the solution to all our class problems. It's <laughs> the,
0: I, I, I. It's hard. It's hard to think of like the tangible difference between him being a mediator and just telling his dad about the problems.
1: Yeah, there's no, it's really incoherent about its solution, I guess.
0: Yeah, and I think, I don't know if I necessarily feel that, like, uh, I mean, more of a parallel to a real-life situation (laughs) in that, like, I don't think the the problem with the exploitation of the workers is just bad management.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they literally live in an underground city that doesn't get light. Yeah, (laughs) like they live underground, and the way that all the laborers are depicted in the film is with very mechanical, machine like movements. Yes, and like this, and they're always shown in like a huge scale. Like they don't have an individuality. They're always set up to move as like a giant unit and specifically in kind of like a clockwork fashion like almost um marching to work no they are marching they're literally wa- marching to work yes um so they're basically this the gears for the machine and it feels weird starting off with that very charged imagery um and then just ending with yeah we just needed to hire a new manager everything's going to be great yeah <laughs> um,
0: I mean, the movie is a, it, for its time it's a real technical marvel, and it's a like great looking film,
1: but: yeah, its politics like, are very naive. Uh, yeah, it's a very naive film, right? It's, yeah, it, it has like a very centrist um, end point yes. to what are very like charged and um, exaggerated depictions Well, I guess not so exaggerated but like very. Yeah explicit and violent images of struggle between class and it just kind of ends in this like nothing conclusion um watching the beginning of the film i like that's part of like and knowing the things that came after it like i'm like oh this is gonna be a marxist film right (laughs) this is gonna be like full communism let's go and apparently the movie originally did receive a lot of um criticism for its like communist message at the time Mm.
0: And it's 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 barely there.
1: Yeah, and it's for me personally. It feels uh, like it missed the mark so hard that it's almost arguing. It's like arguing against it. Yeah,
0: it it assumes that the structure of the uh, upper class and underclass is something that's inherent and just needs to be maintained with better management rather than
1: disrupted. Right. Yeah. Like they explicitly show a worker's revolution as, like, an explicitly negative thing.
0: Yes, because it's something that causes, like, tangible tragedy within within that film. So yeah, it's kind of...
1: Yeah, and it positions all the workers, specifically I said they don't have individually, but it kind of shows them as really animalistic and not really having any, uh, not like, intelligence, but like no self-actualization. Like, yes. they are called the hands because they cannot think without the head.
0: It's, it's like, the rev- like, the fact that they leave their children to die makes <laughs> right. them as really selfish.
1: Yeah, it f- is... paints them as selfish in the same way as the people in the club who are really horny yeah. for the robot. Yeah, And no. it, like, specifically draws an equivalence between those two things, right? Yes, it does. Like, we are the same in more ways than you think. <laughs> so, you know, Absolutely. get somebody who has experienced it, uh both sides to work between (laughs) us you know the man who lived in rich naivety and then worked a 110 hour shift he'll definitely have everybody's best interests at heart (laughs) oh man it's um like i guess for it's time like you can kind of see um how influential and how a lot of his grand ideas filter out to things afterwards but as far as like it's politics in a modern consideration or like any consideration uh they're like you said like so naive and <laughs> misled that um its political message is just i guess inc- it's incoherent but only in the way that its intentions are completely undone by what it's actually saying yes but i guess uh for some his like considering the historical moment it makes sense a little bit yeah this is uh, post-World War One Germany. So this would be, like, thinking about it, it, this would be after everybody kind of sees, sees the, the horrors of industry as like, you know, whole generations are gunned down by machine guns, and the problem is solved by throwing more bodies at it. Yeah. And the, like, nobody figured out how to, everybody figured out to make better weapons, but nobody figured out how to fight with them. And, uh, it's just... This m- mechanica is uh, the massacre has just happened, and specifically Germany they really take the blame for it, and um it basically like tanks their entire economy right yeah I think uh the w- images i've heard where money was so useless that like, to buy anything you 'd have to like ship, uh, take it around in wheelbarrows, and it was more useful to like paper your house to keep the cold. <laughs> From coming in than it was for actually buying things. Uh, I don't know how true that is. I don't know much about European history, but those were specifically the images that I was taught.
0: I haven't read anything on it since, like, secondary school.
1: Yeah, I haven't heard anything, literally, since, like, European history. Like, my history of Europe is probably worse than yours, because (laughs) mine was, like, an optional class that you took.
0: (laughs) Nah. Uh, It's the thing, this movie, for its time, was monstrously expensive.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was also that. They, like, continued to be threatening to, like, run out of money on the production of it. But it kept being made despite that. Yeah. And, I don't know, this is also when, um, the Nazi Party started beginning to form and, like, build a coherent base. Yes. Who would uh, famously use films for great uses of propaganda to of course. Um help convince everybody to commit war crimes with them. Crimes <laughs> against humanity rather. Um Yeah. But yeah, because of the ridiculous scale that they spent money on, it feels almost modern in production. It Not like I in feel- that it looks like modern CG or anything, but it looks
0: It's it's a like it's an it's a really watchable film. Right, like, yeah. Like it's two
1: and a half hours, but I didn't feel like i was it was slow yeah the construction as well is made well um the pacing of it is pretty concise actually yeah for everything it covers for the most part
0: also just the sort of like big dramatic imagery makes it just sort of it's a really easy film to follow
1: yeah you you said before it's very uh, um german expressionist yes in terms of the way it uses like lighting shadow and set design like, everything's very exaggerated. Like, I say it has a modern production, but, like, nobody would use scale and um, exaggeration in the same way this does for imagery.
0: Yeah, I think as you were saying as we were watching it, it's everything is too big.
1: Yeah, like, when we go to um, Yo's, Yo Friederson's office, everything is, like, twice as big as it should be. Yeah. They, they build sets kind of in the way, um, like, a video game would, sort of where they build everything way bigger because you have to move around in it, and if you created it at scale, it would just feel tiny. Mm. But it's a film, so everything just feels towering and massive.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: And then, again, there's the use of crowds to kind of exaggerate the movement. Like When we say crowds, we mean like hundreds of people are on screen.
0: Literal crowds on screen. Yeah, (laughs)
1: literal hundreds of people doing something for a shot.
0: Yeah, the just it's it's astonishing the scale of the movie.
1: Yeah, you can see really how this, especially at the time, would um make such a like astounding impact on somebody who watched it. Right, like even now, there's this. It does stuff that nobody would, f- <laughs> nobody would throw this kind of money or manpower at in a modern film. Right.
0: Yeah, like anything with a crowd sequence now, it's it's it never looks. Right. right. It's always a bunch of copy-paste. Yeah, they uh,
1: take, like, 20 people and then they CJ them into, like, a thousand or whatever. Yeah. And, right. and like, you don't, you don't get this physical effect of this many people imposing on a space. Yes. Like, when you see those... Like, part of the thing that makes it so upsetting for to see the workers is because you see that physical power of the workers and the crowds uh, consuming a space and then it's just kind of used to, like, you know, to send them as, like, set them up as, like, a pack of animals or something. Yeah. Like, it really exaggerates the worst messages of its visuals, as well as, like, uh, the imposing scale that it does elsewhere. Yeah, this is just, like, a a big film, I guess.
0: Yeah, no, and it's, I I, I do think it's worth seeing, because, like, it's it's, like, as much as it's, like, it's muddled, it's it's still fun to watch. It's still, like, some of, the, some of the stuff looks cool and, like, it's, again, it's just, like, you, it's not, I don't feel like, it's, it's well-paced enough that, like, it doesn't feel sluggish.
1: Yeah, and uh, it feels useful for understanding all the things that come after it, right? Yeah. Like, you understand why somebody like Janelle Monet would, like, take these images and then reconstruct them in a modern sense or like, a more pro-revolution kind of, uh, you know, storyline yeah. and imagery. Like you you understand um why somebody would take specifically the depiction of Metropolis with its kind of just like eternally reaching skyscrapers and stuff like that and replicate them elsewhere in the other science yes, fiction. Just like Metropolis. Yeah. Just like Metropolis, the anime.
0: Yeah. So shall we uh talk about that one?
1: Yeah, Metropolis uh the anime is Which um so we wrote summaries for
0: both these films. Uh, this movie is about an hour shorter, roughly. And you know, like, 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 50 minutes. Three times like, as
1: much things happen. Yeah, we
0: wrote so much more, because like, as much as we say, oh, like Metropolis, the German film, is a really well-paced movie, it, it's like, the actual plot is
1: fairly simple. Right. But um, it's also not an anime, which you can get across... Uh, the same information yes. in like a second with a drawing right because as much as um metropolis exaggerates and uses that german expressionism it's still by people and you still need to um give them the time to act and communicate in real time where especially
0: with it being a silent
1: film right yeah because you have to hold on it so that people can absorb the image um Anime, you can kind of get across a lot of information in a few seconds, because it's even more exaggerated, right? Yes. And like I was saying earlier with, uh, you can kind of understand why somebody would take the imagery of Metropolis and like expand upon it. Uh, Metropolis, the anime is based on Metropolis, the manga by Osama Tezuka, who famously wrote the manga after seeing like a poster. For Metropolis, (laughs) the original 1927
0: film. Yeah, I've never. Have you read the manga?
1: I did read the manga. um, It barely has anything to do with uh, (laughs) Metropolis, the 2001 film. Like the anime is a lot more in line with the original silent film than it is with the manga, because the manga is there's a couple elements from it um, and reused characters and things like that, but it's uh, largely very different. In terms of plotting and characters, uh, it's not even a robot in the Metropolis manga. it's like an artificial human that's really? grown because of like sunspot radiation oh. um, I don't remember all the details, but it, it ends it goes in a very different direction. Um, Metropolis okay. the anime uh, based on that manga was directed by Rintaro and written by uh, Katsuhiro Otomo. You might be familiar with some of these people. <laughs> Um, Rintaro worked with Otomo on Neo Tokyo which was a collection of like short anime films uh, as well as some Galaxy Express movies Uh, he worked on some other Tezuka stuff specifically which is why I'm assuming he's on this film like he worked on I think the 70s version of Astro Boy or 1960s to 70s run of Astro Boy and um, Mm. I Am Son Goku a semi (laughs) autobiographical film about Tezuka
0: yes in which uh, uh, Son Goku is voiced by the voice of Krillin.
1: Yeah, Son Goku specifically being um, the Monkey King.
0: <laughs> yes, Son Goku.
1: Yeah, it's a biopic and <laughs> Journey to the West combination film, I guess.
0: Yeah, I may need to look for that.
1: <laughs> yeah, Otomo's that guy who did Akira, right, and Steamboy. Yes. This feels like a very Steamboy era film in terms of the way that's actually animated.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uses uh, a lot
1: of um, CG and two D elements yeah. combined.
0: It's it's interesting. The, the animation in this film is like I feel some of the animation is very tied into sort of characters because um, all of the uh, human characters are animated in a very much kind of almost like Fleischer animation sort of Popeye.
1: Yeah, they're very uh, old cartoon, right?
0: Yes, which again I, I I think does tie in with like the aesthetics of Tezuka's work because he's kind of a very early uh, mangaka.
1: Um, yeah, he's very specifically... His proportions and his exaggerated movements and expressions are rounded and rubbery and kind of... They're not very um, modern anime. They're very much yeah. more in line with like an early Disney.
0: But it feels like all of the um, uh, machine or robot characters have a much more... Um, kind of standard uh yeah. anime kind of animation in the way they move right yeah uh, they're, the, a bit,
1: they're a bit more straightforward the humans and, are very like a gag anime and the robots are very just regular <laughs> anime yes which is it, which is weird because specifically that gives them um a lot of humanity yeah but it gives them a humanity in a different way where they have a, diff- a very different, they exude a very different energy than the human
0: character. Yeah. Uh,
1: but yeah, you, why don't we just get into this plot? Cause it yes. has a lot of things going on. This is so much. Uh, okay. So this will, this movie begins with the celebration uh, or the construction of the ziggurat, which is just this massive scientific tower that is just meant to be this symbol of human ingenuity. Um, uh Duke Red, who is specifically, I guess he's like, they don't specifically say w- what his um role is. Like, he's called Duke Red, but that's just because that's what the character is called. Um, yeah. Specifically, this movie reuses a lot of Tezuka characters because that's just kind of like a Tezuka thing where he basically treats his characters like actors.
0: um I think a thing that is sort of, he's depicted as kind of, it feels like it's kind of going for like a rich person who is basically in control of the city anyway.
1: Right, yeah. So, yeah, he's the unofficial ruler of Metropolis, right? He yes. performs very much the same function as uh, Friederson in uh, a live action film. Yes. But he's just with under unofficial. Like, there's a mayor and a president, but they're not really the people who control it, right? Yes. They're kind um, of symbolic. So, he's giving a big speech about how grand this is and how amazing it is and people are asking him, like oh you're gonna run for politics and the president specifically says like no way don't encourage him if he ran for president there's no way i could compete with his popularity and uh the celebration is interrupted by um somebody basically shining some propaganda and displaying the symbol of the mardukes who are just anti-robot group and then he kind of escapes while gunning down a robot yeah so like it just immediately sets up that um tension of like the anti robot coalition who kind of exists. I guess not a coalition. Um later yeah. they actually say that they were started as like a political party that just became like more radical.
0: It's that so like there's also like robots exist in this like movie compared to the other one in which like they they have a robot invented. <laughs> yeah, they have a robot whereas this one they're everywhere.
1: Yeah. They're specifically but, set up to be everywhere.
0: Yes. But they also... There's definitely kind of underlying tensions because they don't have the same rights as humans. But we'll get into that a bit
1: further on. Right, up. yeah. So, from here they go on to the scene where Shunsakuban ban and Kenichi are arriving from Japan. Um Shinsaku bans a Japanese detective and Kenichi's, I think, his nephew, right? Yes. Yeah. And they're in search of daughter, Dr. Lawton, who's like a criminal scientist with dealings in the black market. They go to inspector notarlin who is the police chief and he specifically says hey we don't have anybody to help you uh search for this criminal because we're it's taking everybody we have just to keep this celebration from breaking out into chaos yeah so they send them down to uh they send them down to go get a robot to help them out yeah he's like a really cool robot. Yeah,
0: um, distinctly he can't do uh, certain things that human police officers can.
1: Yeah, he's not authorized to apprehend anybody, right? Yeah, and uh, but he can. He knows the city, and he can help them navigate it. He kind of looks like um, Q from Street Fighter Three. Yes, he's apparently based on like a Tokusatsu detective hero. Huh. Um, but basically, like that, you know, like a robot who kind of has like a mask-like face and wears a trench coat and uh, a yeah. <laughs> private eye hat, you know, <laughs> he's, just, he's got the whole private eye get-up.
0: So, uh, they give him, they give him a name. Uh,
1: yeah. He, he, he does that thing where, where, you know, robots in fiction do where when they ask their name, he just gives them their, like, model designation, which is really long. Uh, hilariously, uh, Shunsaku does not remember it and fudges it up, and then Kanichi repeats it back exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um but then they just decide to name him Pero after um Shinsaku's dog he used to have. Since yes. robots aren't allowed to have human names because they would infringe on human rights, I guess. Yeah. Which uh, is, uh... <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, they're setting up some politics here. Yes, they are. Uh Pero also specifically is a reference to there's a lot of Tezuka references in this film,
0: a lot of which uh, go over my head because yeah, um, I'm I'm
1: sure I missed a ton of them. uh, But Perro is uh, in the Astro Boy comic. He's Shunsaku's dog who is kidnapped and is turned into a cyborg.
0: (laughs) Yeah, my um, only Tezuka knowledge is uh, the uh, uh, playing like two levels of the Astro Boy GBA game.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you should finish that game. It's a good game. Yeah, you'll see a lot of these characters in it. Oh, (laughs) well. Yeah. So from there, they reveal that Duke Red is funding Lawton to create a robot that is based on his deceased daughter, Tima. You know, we're starting to get some parallels with the silent film here. Yeah. And you can kind of uh, get the sense that Lawton has some tension with Duke Red, where Duke is... Duke Red is just telling him to hurry up and just finish it, and he's anxious to finish it, while... Lauden keeps evading him and saying, oh, just give me more time, give, give me more time, and you get the sense that he's got other plans for the robot. Yeah. Uh, Rock, who is also uh, Duke Red's, I guess, like, um, adopted son?
0: It It's interesting, because there's kind of a tension there, where Rock feels that Duke Red is his father, and calls him such, but uh, Duke Red's does not want to be seen as that. Right. And they kind of,
1: um, Rock has a very possessive, um, yes, has very possessive feelings towards his father. Yes. He's also the leader of, um, the Mardukes who are also, uh, revealed to be like, it's a, I think somebody said, uh, the Perro says, uh, in a different part of the film that it's a public secret that this political party is funded by Duke Red. Yes. Yeah. So he, uh, finds out about Lawton's work, and in, like, a jealous rage, um, declares that no robot will deceive his father, uh, he kills Lawton, I guess he shoots him, he doesn't, like, yes. outright just kill him, and then he destroys the lab, which causes, like, a massive fire to erupt in what's supposed to be an abandoned lab.
0: Yeah, Kenichi and Shinsaku are investigating while this goes on as well.
1: Right, Yeah. They go down, spe- it's specifically in what's called Zone 1, which is an underground level where um, the Underclass live and work, basically. Yeah. So, this fire erupts, uh, it creates a massive fire, which starts exploding, and um, before Laden dies, he releases Tima as kind of just like uh, a last-ditch effort. Uh, there's this really cool scene where the firefighting robots show up, <laughs> and there's this, like, awesome jazz music playing while uh, yeah. the, the robots, like, chant in time to the music,
0: which is really cute. There's a, there's a lot of really good jazz music in this movie.
1: Yeah, like, a, a big robot comes, and then, like, a lot of, like, mousy-looking, tinier robots come, and um, after they create, like, a, a cordon around the scene, they, like, stick out their arms, and then all the tiny little robots climb on top of them and <laughs> build, like, giant... Um, almost (laughs) bio-organic-looking firefighting hose.
0: Yeah. They, like, uh, specifically
1: link up to build, like, a much bigger thing and then turn into the hose itself.
0: Yeah, it's really... It's a a really cool, detailed sequence.
1: Yeah, this is a movie they also spent a lot of money on.
0: (laughs) It's a Madhouse movie, which... They're known for uh, very uh, detailed animation and also having their workers work 300 hours in a
1: month. <laughs> yeah, they sure are! <laughs> yeah. Oh, some more parallels, some real-life parallels <laughs> to Metropolis. <laughs> um, so, as this explosion is happening, Shunsaku uh, runs into the fire to because he uh, finds out that that's where Lawton was, and he's while he's trying to get to Lawton, he uh, basically gets, like, a his work, like a book describing the work that he was been doing on Tima. Yeah. And he gets separated from Kenichi, who sees Tima in the fire and is like, oh no, there's somebody there. I gotta save her. And um runs towards her while it collapses under them. Yeah. Um, the fire, meanwhile, it stokes the resentment of the underclass who are living in zone one, who is led by um Atlas, who is like this kind of like revolutionary figure who starts, you know, yelling, hey. Look, look at what's happening here. They're neglecting us. They're trying to kill us. They don't care what happens to us. And sees um this fire as a sign of the upper classes disdain for the people below who work for them. Um he's specifically human, which is interesting because in other versions, Atlas is actually a robot himself. Huh. Like he is designed by in Astro Boy, I think he's designed by um the same scientist who creates Astro Boy. Okay. Uh, Astro Boy also famously recreated in the image of a dead child. <laughs> Atlas is created as his uh, rival. You might think of him as the forte to his Rockman. It's basically huh. the same function. Wow. So, you know, there's a lot of weird parallels that they're playing with um, between Tezuka and Metropolis, the silent film. Um, anyway, uh... From there, uh, Kenichi and Tima kind of become acquainted. Uh, Tima begins to learn how to talk, talk and Kenichi starts uh, teaching her. Uh, you, get, you get the sense that they're very much falling in love.
0: Yes. Well, it, I don't really... It, it's not so much... It doesn't feel like romantic love. It just kind it's of feels like... like real love. Of it's like... Attachment. A kind of,
1: yeah, attachment, and sort of like a puppy love.
0: Yeah. Like, the um, first
1: person I've like really felt an emotion for. Like, you can tell it's pretty naive on both of their parts.
0: Yes. Also it's worth noting that Tima does not seem to be aware that they are a robot, yeah. and Kanichi is not aware that Tima is a
1: robot either. Yeah, and nobody knows that she's a robot. And um, it's a, and
0: as I was saying, kind of um uh, the way she is animated is very human.
1: Right. Yeah. As opposed to the, the other robot. Yeah. Yeah. The. It's you know that same thing. You know, we're going to create a robot is indistinguishable from a human
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the animator in a way that's indistinguishable from a human yes um, so we get a couple of like comedic scenes and like tender scenes between her and Kanichi, and there's also a little trash robot that helps them navigate the underground called Fifi oh, it dog. looks like a, it's like a combination between those like a trash can <laughs> and those um, robots from Near Automata Kind of, yeah.
0: A bit more. They're a bit more. He's a bit more animated than those, because those are quite. um, uh...
1: They're less toy like, because they have kind of like hose like arms, right? Yeah. It's like a big rubbery arm that can bend everywhere with like a claw stuck on the end of it.
0: Yeah. Fifi kind of has like a big, like, rubbery neck as well.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Fifi is very much looks like something you would put together out of scrap parts. Like, it's very much shown as a model, like a very old model that they've just kind of. Used because it's cheap, mm. like a very primitive sort of robot. Um, yeah. Yeah. So they run around. Uh, Rock is on their trail because he combs wreckage, finds out that there's no body. And he's like, there's no way there would be nothing left of a robot that advanced. Um, eventually, he finds them. And there's like a very long chase scene, a very elaborate chase scene <laughs> with some of the best uh, scenes of animation. Like, they they run, um, there's, like, very drawn-out shots of Rock pulling out his gun as they run through a crowd, and he's just slowly drawing a bead on them. Um, there's, like, a... just like, one of those carts you power by bicycling? Uh, what do you call those? Uh, anyway, like, they get on one of those, and he just, like... It's like a Jackie Chan chase scene, right? Yeah,
0: it's very much
1: like that, yeah. he run... They... Run through like everything in Metropolis, go through some tunnels, and eventually crash and get launched. <laughs> while Rock and his Mardukes try to catch up with them. Mm. So basically, um, they like crash, go, get sent flying into like a big trash heap, and Rock and his Mardukes try to find them. Um, then we find out that they are taken in by Atlas and his uh, like crew of revolutionaries. Mm. And when I say revolutionaries, I mean they literally have like Che Guevara posters on their wall. <laughs> they do. Right? Like, they just have the communist imagery all over their secret base. Yeah. With just, you know, uh, they explicitly have um, graffiti or something, uh, talking about the bourgeois yes, and the proletariat. Do. Yes. Because that's where this movie's politics are. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Kenichi begins to say that he is an investigator, um, but then changes it to not give himself away, saying that he's a journalist. And Alice is like, oh, great, you can tell everybody our story. And he kind of <coughs> tells everybody, tells them about the underclass of Metropolis, how the people who work and keep the city alive live underground and, you know, squalor. And they usually subsist on rations and rations given by the upper class, but with the celebrations for the ziggurat happening, they're specifically being starved because they're not receiving those rations. Yeah. From there, we go to a test of the ziggurat, which turns out to be a big weapon. Um, there's this very elaborate scene where all, they're like basically ascending to this tower to go above the clouds where nobody can see them, and where there's cloud cover to mask their actions. And they basically shoot a giant laser beam at the sun- To irradiate it and create a substance called omotanium, which basically, um, has the effect of, you know, like sunspots and how they mess up electronics sometimes because of the electromagnetic waves. Oh yeah. It's like that, like a really exaggerated version of that. Like they basically create artificial sunspots that just irradiate all the robots on the surface and, um either outright destroy them or make them go haywire and on a rampage, which allows the Mardukes to go on a brutal rampage and just massacre robots. Like, the imagery in it, it's not too dissimilar from, like, uh, I think it's called the Second Renaissance in the Animatrix. Yes. Like, Uh, nowhere near as violent. Yeah. But definitely the same kind of, like, tone and emotional feeling of it absolutely I, I think literally it ends with them like showing a pile of robot bodies that they're collecting
0: yeah I mean, for for context the the second renaissance is the depiction of the machines
1: uh yeah the machine uh, revolution over
0: in uh the matrix
1: yeah there's like very violent scenes of what others what otherwise would be considered like really gory deaths yeah. if they were human
0: absolutely yeah absolutely it's, like a, tearing
1: that's robots fun. arms off like it's really uncomfortable to watch and yeah, this gave me, like, it, that same vibe of, like, oh, this is really... they're really hurting these robots. Absolutely. Like It's, a, it's like, a visibly uncomfortable scene.
0: Yeah, I find... I, I, there's so much media with robots that does find excuses to do this.
1: Yeah, there definitely is. Uh, and basically, Duke Red's, like, you know, this gives him... gives his political party more power. Yeah. Um... Meanwhile, the presidents and the mayor are trying to use this as an excuse to try to oust Duke Red out of his popularity and kind of regain control of people and become, like, you know, get back into power.
0: Yeah, they they want to have the actual power to their name.
1: Right, like they're going to use the excuse of the ziggurat making it go haywire to revolt against him. Yeah. Uh, This is timed with an underclass revolution by Atlas, who at this point has been kind of organizing but has not been able to get the manpower together to, do a, to properly fight back because yeah. of the lack of confidence in, you know, the revolution's ability to organize enough people. So basically, mm-hmm. uh, the military advisor, uh, what's his name? Skunk. Skunk, yeah. <laughs> yeah, his name is Skunk. Uh, he basically secretly meets with Atlas and says, hey, if you begin this revolution, the military will back you up. Which gives, sure. which Atlas says will give them the confidence to get people together because now they're going to be like, well, if, the milita- if we got the military on our side, we'll have the power and firepower to, you know, actually win a revolution. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of political machinations going on in this film. So the revolution begins and you kind of see like these shots of these large crowds moving up towards the surface. Shunsaku is there with Perro. And as they begin to come up, uh, Perro uh, sends off Shinsaku saying, I need to take care of this. This is part of my job to keep order. You should go find out. Uh, I forgot exactly what they're doing, but they're, they're basically trying to take care of it and find out what, exactly what's happening with Laden and the situation with what he was working on. Yeah. Um, Perro stands in front of Atlas and the crowd and he asks why humans always resort to violence to solve problems. Um, Atlas basically acknowledges that the violence that they do brings a lot of suffering, but remarks that actions like this are needed for um, humans because they are emotional creatures. Specifically, what he says is emotions vibrate within humans, and all they can do is move forward in that amplitude. And without affirming those emotions, they can't survive. Mm. It's like this very poignant feeling where you can kind of sense his conflict and his desire um, like he doesn't enj- atlas doesn't enjoy the need for violence but he sees it as necessary yes like they're slowly being starved and that we won't we won't survive unless we do something like drastic to affirm our suffering yeah to change they, it
0: they're very desperate
1: yeah and then speaking of uh Robot violence again. He just, he kills Perot, like, on the spot. Like, he just basically executes him right there. Um, and then, you know, sh- uh, sticks his rifle up to the sky. And, you know, the very revolutionary imagery comes in here. And there's, like, a big collage of all the military violence uh, beginning. And then you see in the next scene that the military commander, Skunk, is actually in league with Duke Red. And he assassinates both the presidents and the mayor. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the mayor uh, specifically is a character called a settling lamp. <laughs> um, when he dies, there's like a little gag where you see a little candle in the back of his head pop up and then disappear, uh, which is specifically because apparently he has a divot in the back of his head where a candle can fit exactly <laughs> is a thing, a gag thing about the character. It's like, it feels weird in such a really tense moment, but that's kind of like a this- yeah. good thing. Where he just kind of throws gags in, in. really serious situations. Um, yeah. So he kills them. Um, and it's, he's going to join forces with Duke Red. And then put the city under control of martial law. And obviously. <laughs> um, the military are not actually going to be helping the popular revolution. It's been a trap the whole time. Uh, so yeah. We see those scenes of violences, violence everywhere. You know. Tanks. Guns. Um, basically everything just happens in like a montage. Um, that doesn't feel too dissimilar to the way um, Montage is used in a silent film Metropolis.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I wasn't thinking about it at the time, watching it. But yeah, now that you mention it, it does.
1: Yeah, there's like a... Um, they do a weird thing in silent film where they match a lot of images and kind of like to get across the feeling of chaos. It's like a bunch of like... um Yeah. Like faded like images and human faces and stuff spinning around in kind of like a circle in like a dizzying kind of way. Absolutely. Over several other film, uh, other images. Uh, wow. This film is, there is a lot happening in this film. Yeah. I feel like I said, six sentences for this plot of metropolis, the silent (laughs) film. Um, but this is about where the, so, uh, the popular revolution fails, obviously. Kenichi and Shinsako are reunited, but they get interrupted by rock who shoots Shinsaku and injures him. Um, Duke Red arrives, is uh, bewildered by the situation, finds out that Rock knew about Tima the whole time and had been intentionally keeping her from him. So he strips Rock of his position and takes Tima. Uh, Tima's revealed to be uh, the central figure for the Ziggurat, and her purpose is to become the control center of the Ziggurat, which is going to be a weapon to subjugate the entire world. And uh, this is the part where uh, so Duke is you know obsessed with this image of his uh, dead daughter, but he doesn't really acknowledge Tima's um, humanity. Yeah. So uh, she becomes very conflicted as she becomes torn between the impulses for human emotions and humanity, and her repeat the Duke's Duke Red's um, repeated insistence that she is uh better than human. And kind of, like, insistence that she's not actually a real human. And the revelations between those two... And there's a couple other scenes in between here. um, But mostly they just set up that emotional conflict between her sense of selfhood and attempt to self-actualize as she's constantly being told she's artificial. Yeah. Uh, So she breaks down. She begins to overload the Omotanium generator. And she connects to, like, all the robots in the world and basically says, hey, I'm going to connect to all the robots, they're going to destroy the world, and I'm going to end humanity through this biological is, warfare. So as she sits in the chair that controls yeah. the ziggurat. So this room is just this... It look, kind of looks like Legos. It does. Like There's if you just built a room of Legos. Legos, right? And she sits in down in this Lego chair. And then the room around her just starts to deconstruct and um, raise her above as wires from, like, basically the Lego pegs just shoot out and start connecting <laughs> to her face and, like, the chair and everything around her as she it's... networks with everything around her.
0: It's interesting, uh, going back to how they're animated, from this point she moves a lot more robotically.
1: Yeah. This specifically, is that transition where the, she becomes, you know, they give her that, uh, <laughs> that modern anime look. Yeah. It's uh, interesting to think of this as a, a, a Otomo Screenplay? Yeah. Because basically the <laughs> climax of Akira happens, but it's <laughs> robots and wires. Yes. Right? It does. It's a building becoming this massive um, biblical structure instead of a uh, bioorganic I believe, person.
0: I believe one person says to uh, Duke Red that this is his Tower of Babylon.
1: Right. I, I think literally um, Shunsaku says, and so the Tower of Babylon <laughs> fell. <laughs> right? <laughs> Yes. Or was destroyed by God. He, like, basically just says, you know. Yeah. He once again affirms that Tower of Babylon story. (laughs) Um, Duke Red and Rock get surrounded by robots as everything's being destroyed. Very elaborately and very, (laughs) in like very smooth animation. um, Rock finally is surrounded by robots and says, and sees his father about to die. And he's like, I won't be killed by robots and I won't let my father get killed by robots either. And he sets off the generator, um, which destroys the ziggurat and starts collapsing into Metropolis. And then um, the very uh, <laughs> dramatic music and everything cuts right into Ray Charles's I Can't Stop Loving You.
0: And um, it, it works so good for this scene.
1: Right. Like, right as he pl- plays the button, there's this, like, in um, specifically that version, there's this, like, not sting, like, um, there's this opening that's, like, it's, like, it's almost like a harp. Yeah. I think, where it's like a harp strum, harp strum, and then you see the um, explosion go off and everything exploding. And then from this point on, it's just dialogue sounds in this song in the background. Yeah. And so as they uh, collapse, the-, the ziggurat starts collapsing. Uh, Kenichi is fighting with Tima, trying to get her to remember who she is. It collapses beneath her as she falls down. Kenichi reaches out to her. Loses her hand and grabs one of the wires that's coming off of her, which, you know, it breaks and snaps, and just before it snaps and she falls, uh, her old personality begins to resurface again. And then kind of after that big scene of destruction, it goes right into, like, a very calm, almost serene uh, shots of, you know, the destroyed city. Uh, Kenichi's looking for signs of Tima. gets reunited with Fifi was like barely working but still like conscious and like alive right mm-hmm. but like you know puffs of smoke are shooting off Fifi um, yeah. I think Fifi specifically brings Kenichi Tima's heart yes and other robots start bringing pieces of her to him and he kind of like sheds a tear and kind of like a bittersweet acknowledgement and like he's like you can tell like that the expressions are uh, fantastic in that you can tell he's both conflicted to like has this real sense of loss but also is um happy to be re- reunited with fifi and to see some part of tima yeah yeah and so he tells shinsaki he wants to stay in metropolis a little bit longer um and the movie ends on a radio uh playing tima's voice who repeats her first and last words which are i am who and then mm-hmm. uh you know that's credits
0: yeah and there's a little um picture after little, after the yeah. end of the credits with uh Kenichi, uh, seemingly running a uh, junk shop named Kenichi and Tima, where both Kenichi and Tima are shown.
1: I think Fifi might even be in it. Yeah. It's, um, so it's really uh, cute, you know, and it's nice to have the like um, the bookends. The... Yeah. Of her first and last words.
0: I think um, it's definitely the the um, the use of Ray Charles in the climax, is something that's, like, stuck with me. Like, when any time this specific movie comes up, that song plays in my head. Yeah, I think about that every single time. Because... You, like, like you, you don't expect it. And, like, but, like, the, and the thing is, is, like, it's been about, like, 15 years since I last saw the movie before this. Mm-hmm. And, like, that that just hasn't left. Right. But, yeah. Like, the last time I watched the movie before this was on a VHS.
1: All right. feels like like, uh, almost Kubrick-esque, like, like, the way Kubrick would use, um, like, classical music. Yeah. Um, specifically to contrast or complement different scenes of, like, science fiction stuff.
0: Yeah, oh, for um, sure.
1: But instead, like, it's, like, it's, it's using jazz. This movie uses a lot of jazz for its soundtrack. It,
0: I mean, it definitely is, is using the kind of, like, big band... Kind of jazz uh
1: yeah I think mm-hmm. i
0: think it it sort of plays into more the kind of like american ish aesthetics of the film,
1: yeah, that's true, yeah, it very much does that, um
0: I mean it's like Shunsaku and Kanichi aren't they don't live in they're from Japan, yeah, they've come from Japan. from Japan to metropolis, which
1: is it's never
0: specified where that is, but um, it's
1: probably America, right, if Japan yeah. exists.
0: Yeah, if Japan exists, it's probably America.
1: You know, that makes sense as something from Japan, and kind of like culturally, um, (laughs) what America would mean. And like, this the symbols of industry, and...
0: Yeah, it's interesting that it doesn't necessarily completely draw on the aesthetics of, uh, the German film and more just takes after kind of, uh, American culture.
1: Right, yeah, it's very much that, like, hyper-capitalist that extension of like the hyper-capitalist aesthetic right yeah like metropolis as a city above is shown to be very prosperous and shown in like a lot of the ways that like prosperous anime cities are shown yeah right i think they got sidewalks that are that move by themselves things like that yeah there's blimps in this movie oh yeah there absolutely is that just like show duke red's face and talk about how great the ziggurat is the whole time. Which is like really used well uh, because it keeps going even after like the popular revolution has happened and everything's (laughs) destroyed. And it's just still playing that same message from the beginning from the celebration. Is it still celebration week? (laughs) Uh, And then, you know, that's the very um, shiny aesthetic to the top. And then there's that very run down more organic feeling as they go down between the zones.
0: Yeah, it's... it's this. This movie is a bit more consistent.
1: Yeah. I also feel like um we get a little bit more of the faces of the people who live below than we do of the people above.
0: Yeah, I mean, ev- like everything in um uh the German film metropolis is a metaphor. Like it doesn't right. necessarily like it doesn't feel like you're wa- I don't like I, I didn't feel like I was watching human characters in the way that people were kind of really humanized in
1: the anime. Yeah, uh, and specifically I feel like the anime uses that humanity uh, more selectively and like more intelligently. Yeah. Because uh, like and... you said, there's that part where they animate the robots and humans differently, but also I feel like they give more distance to... Uh, because of the scale of the shots that mm. uh, and the spaces, Feel like there's generally more distance. I don't know if this. I don't. I don't know if this is gonna stand under scrutiny. But the feeling I got was there's like more distance from the big crowds and filled um, out cities on the top, and it's a little bit more intimate when it comes to zone one. Oh specifically. yeah, for sure. Like you actually get to see the shopkeepers and the people selling their foods at the food stands and stuff like that. Yeah, it gives them a little bit more humanity. Um, yeah, like you said, it has characters, right? yeah
0: it's like, what, what, like what's the character of like Metropolis like, you've got the, the, the rich dude who's like I'm sad about these poor people <laughs> and that's kind of all there is to him most of the time right whereas like, these, like the people of Metropolis the, the anime are, are real people
1: yeah they have motivations and they have understandable relatable yeah. uh, feelings and goals like, you you know why, At like, Atlas kind of tells, like, they don't have enough space to give, um, to speak to what everybody feels in the underclass, but Atlas kind of s- manages to be the voice for them, but also manages to make them, h- make that feeling human. Yes. Like, I feel like for as much as it just goes for it, <laughs> with, like, the, o- the over-the-top use of, like, revolutionary, um, imagery. Yeah. Uh. He does, he feels like a coherent character, and specifically his, like, conflicted speech about the need for violence and the need to to affirm those emotions, right? Yeah. Like, we have to affirm our emotions to survive. That feels like, yes, like, if I was in that situation, if I was in that pain, I would need to have an outlet, I would need to do something, or I would, or, or you break, right? Yeah. This feels like a lot more of a coherent political movie. Absolutely. The silent film's a little bit more thematically coherent because it has one theme and it just does it. Yes. It, 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 like, knows its message.
0: Absolutely. It's um, very focused on communicating a few ideas in an incredibly broad manner.
1: Yeah, I'm not saying that... It's good thematic stuff, but <laughs> yeah. it knows what it is, and it just communicates. It goes with them, right? It runs with them. Yes. Um. It's kind of hard to know where Metropolis the anime wants you to walk away from.
0: Yeah. No. I kind of felt like because it's it's harder for me to get like it's so, like the German like Metropolis movie is so easy to get a read on what that movie is because it just like it tells you in about three different ways. <laughs> what it's doing in a scene like
1: here's literally the, like, ends with a message
0: yeah, it's like it like just like on screen here this is what the the movie's about here exactly what this metaphor means here is like there's very little room for interpretation All right yeah, I mean, there is, you just you extent, you feel but...
1: how you feel how you feel about the movie does right yeah, but it's Absolutely. very clear what it's doing yes. Uh, Metropolis to anime is very complicated in how the different groups interact. Yeah. There's definitely, like, anti-robot resentment within the lower class who are being replaced by robots. Yeah. But their plight does not feel... um... I mean, that plight doesn't... like It doesn't feel like it's the center of
0: the movie. It feels like it's just kind of an aspect of society within... The what? The, the, well, the society that the movie is depicting.
1: Yeah, like it's, defi- it's definitely a part of that resentment, but it also doesn't um, mm. make it feel like, oh, these people just hate robots. <laughs> right. It also affirms the humanity of the robots, but not in like a oh people are scared of the new thing, oh, that's yeah. replacing them way. Like it gives like various um, levels of humanity and actualization to all the different robots as well, and it kind of like it uh it it feels like it's marking them as parallels, right Yes, rather than um conflict yeah and then it does show like <laughs> it does show like how a lot of real violence is instigated by the people on top, right
0: absolutely a lot it's just, the thing is it took, took us so much longer to get through this movie
1: yeah right like... right, but it it feels like it knows what to do with these people right
0: yes like I, it doesn't it doesn't fe- like none of these characters go nowhere
1: yeah all of them are very intelligently and purposefully written for what they yeah do.
0: like it does it doesn't everyone gets like it ne- i never feel i never came, I, I
1: don't feel like watching this movie that like no one was wasted yeah yeah. like i'm never like why do i care about this mm. or who am i supposed to relate to right yeah like everybody's very relatable um even like the one maid who (laughs) well we didn't talk about this in the summary but like sells out tima yes like they give her a reason to sell out tima and the performance gets across why she did it of course right because she's working for a rich person and she's not getting paid enough yes but she's like please don't let me be in trouble (laughs) but yeah they show that violence coming from the top like in like very specific ways and they show how they control it and how they manipulate the sentiments of the people below them.
0: Oh yeah.
1: And politically maneuver and how their political maneuverings, um, you know, damages the people below them. Oh yeah. how the scientific progress, you know, is built on the backs of, you know, the lower class and then the robots. Cause, uh, they specifically show three zones. And as the zones get, uh, further and further, it gets seedier and seedier down to zone three where it's just basically sewage and garbage and no human comes in there except to maintain the robots who like basically run it.
0: Yeah. It, it, this movie like goes through what the upper class does to the underclass and doesn't end it in the way the German film does. It just,
1: that is yeah, just
0: does... like, it's, it's not trying to make some ham fisted like, well, if we all got along, it would be all be great.
1: Yeah, we could have let the ziggurat stay alive and everything could have been fine if we just had a middle manager. No, it doesn't do that. It just, it shows, it almost feels like it knows that these things are necessary, right? Yeah. Like, God. the the tearing down of Metropolis isn't shown as, like, a tragedy.
0: Yeah. God, I feel like some, like, proper movie buff
1: or film would <laughs> get so
0: mad at us.
1: Right. I mean, I'm not saying that this is like a pretty, like a particularly progressive political no, film, but it's interesting but that we're, we're it we understands, like, yeah.
0: It's it's just interesting that we're feeling like it has more to say than a movie. Probably some uh, university film professors have probably made a career out of examining, <laughs>
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, this <laughs> this two thousand one anime, yeah. I think what we're saying is Metropolis is better than Metropolis. Yes. I mean, it doesn't exist without Metropolis, right? Oh, of
0: course. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it's in conversation with the other movie. And, like, what? yeah, of course, one doesn't exist without the other. Because, like, I kind of prefer the the anime.
1: Yeah, this is, like, one of those things that I was talking about that, like, feels like, oh, you kind of appreciate seeing Metropolis, the silent film, just because you can kind of understand how this informs it. No, oh, absolutely. Unless you appreciate like how much more it does with it, because like I did not pick up on half of these things the first time or the third or fourth time I watched Metropolis, right? Oh yeah, I didn't pick it up on it until I saw specifically those parallels with the silent film.
0: Mm, I didn't pick up on a lot of that when I last watched it because I was ten.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was like thirteen or something. But then I, I watched yeah. it again when I was like in my early twenties. But it, you know, same same deal though. Like I did not. I would not have definitely, I definitely would not have picked up right. on as much as the class parallels um, Oh yeah, Parallels. Me and <laughs> I mean, that's part of a function of living in today. Oh, of course. And understanding those things a little bit more, but you kind of appreciate how they kind of complicate it. But also, man, and you, I, fi- I walk away feeling much better about the politics of this anime than I do of this highly influential silent film, right?
0: Yeah, of course, for Which sure. Is,
1: you know that that's the difference in now and then. But it's just man, fucking oh the silent film. There's a version <laughs> of that movie that exists that I love, right?
0: Yeah, that's that's the thing. Like that 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 y- watching that movie, you can kind of see. Well, if we did some things a bit different, yeah. like it it
1: wouldn't. I wouldn't be as like. If we didn't show the working class as animals!
0: Yeah, the, like, there are changes you can make to that, you can tell that story without... You can um, use a lot
1: of the same images, right, yeah.
0: Yeah, like, the, that That framework can work to tell a better story,
1: but... And it kind of does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People have done better things with it, so I guess I appreciate it in that way, but... Yeah. Like, you know, ultimately, man, the conclusion... If it had everything the same, if Metropolis the Silent Film had everything the same, but the ending was different, yeah. maybe I would still walk away being happy about that movie.
0: Yeah, that's the thing, is it's just that that one shot of like him just standing between and just like, I'm just gonna be the guy that sits stands between you and we're gonna all agree. Yeah, the... yeah and like, not... he
1: like literally brings him in and is like, yeah, we just gotta give a bro hug between the rich people and all these working flash people who are literally being fed to the machine.
0: Yeah. What
1: if the machines chewed a bit softer? <laughs> what if the machines ran on electricity instead of humans? <laughs> <clears throat> uh, I don't know. Yeah. Christ. Man, so... So, like, what are our takeaways of this thing?
0: Well... My takeaway is I think that anime is much more interesting a movie, but as you said, I feel like having seen the original silent film, it's so much easier to see what this movie does in a more interesting manner. Right, yeah. Uh, And I feel like as much as I have complaints about the silent film, I think it definitely fills in stuff I'm about old cinema and influences and it's, it's still fun. I, I enjoyed watching it.
1: Um, yeah, I enjoyed watching most of it. but it's, it's naive politic, like, really soured me on the end, but like, yeah. as a thing, like a, just a single construction. Yeah. It's, uh, there's a lot to admire there.
0: Also, I should, I should watch more silent movies.
1: Yeah. Because That's I've another seen... good takeaway, right?
0: Yeah. No. Um. I've seen like three silent movies, and technically two of them are not silent because they contain scenes with dialogue. Uh, (laughs) Well, not that, but like that one, Charlie Chaplin one. Yeah, Modern Times, which has a scene in which Charlie Chaplin sings. So,
1: (laughs) (laughs) okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is a good pairing. I would say.
0: Yeah. No. I definitely think it's good. It's great to watch both movies together.
1: Yeah, we didn't intentionally go in saying, "Oh, we're gonna watch these two films as a pairing." We just, I just kind of went. I yeah, you know, I never really saw original <laughs> Metropolis. Maybe I should watch that. What, I kind of want to watch Metropolis, the anime again, but maybe I would get podcasts, a little bit more out of it. Podcasts yeah, are right. for
0: for ticking things off your
1: list. <laughs> that's, uh that's... Speaking of the capitalist hellscape. Oh yeah. <laughs> I want to do something that I enjoy, but I don't have an incentive to do it. So what if I made it into content so that other people could consume it? I mean, I would probably watch the movie anyway. Yeah, I mean, I would still watch the movie, but I didn't need to, I didn't need to do a podcast about it. That's true. I would have just got to the movie a lot later.
0: Oh, yeah. No, so uh, I'll get around to it. I mean, we, we, we had this idea for months, I feel
1: like. so. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we did this. Oh, same, absolutely. This is fun. Also, the fucking soundtrack to Metropolis, the anime, incredible. <laughs> yeah, no, incredible.
0: it's real good. Um, I tell you what, the version of Metropolis we watched, which is off on YouTube, I really like that it uses a lot of like church organ. <laughs> it just yeah. gets a real like intense dramatic flair to it. Not as good as the anime,
1: but you know, no, the church organ but... is really good.
0: Yeah, man. So yeah, that's those movies. How can we find you in the wild, Arma? In
1: the wild, oh. You can <laughs> find me <laughs> on the wild, wild west of Twitter, the other capitalist hellscape. Um, <laughs> at cigarettes, that's like cigarettes, but S-I-E-G at mm. the beginning instead. You can find me on Twitter at uh, Samuel Howitt,
0: that's Samuel, howi
1: I don't know where we're gonna be putting these up, <laughs> I don't know where you're gonna be able to find more of them. Uh, probably the same place you found this.
0: Yeah, uh, follow us on Twitter if you're not. I don't know, I, yeah. don't, I, I assume because this is the first episode, that either we've amassed a few and got a listener base, or this is the first one so you probably follow us somewhere else. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't know how you would, um... Yeah come into this without that but yeah uh thanks for joining us as we talk about metropolis and metropolis yes thank you for listening and well we'll be back with something next time i have no idea what it's gonna be yeah we haven't picked a movie yet but uh if it's hopefully it's uh half as good as watching these two together yeah all right right, sam peace see ya